if you're tremendously arrogant and you always assume that you know best, you're going to be doomed to be limited by your own judgment, you know, and nobody is perfect. <laughs> you know, we all make mistakes. We will not necessarily make the best decisions. And, and as good as your instinct is, it's not going to be perfect all the time. But I think you can make much better decisions if you actually listen to others and consider their input before you decide. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with retired Lieutenant General Jeffrey Buchanan. In today's episode, you will learn how Jeff led complex combat and humanitarian operations and now is a leadership consultant to governments and companies. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Lieutenant General Jeffrey Buchanan. Jeffrey commanded U.S. Army North, and after a 37-year Army career, he retired from active duty on the 1st of September 2019. Upon retirement, Jeffrey and his wife moved home to Patagonia, Arizona, where he consults from his home office. He currently serves on three not-for-profit boards, serves on the board of directors for the Arizona State Parks and Trails, and is an advisor to the board of directors for the Autonomy Institute. Jeffrey and his wife, Laura, have three adult children, all married, and seven grandchildren. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure for me to join you today. It's an honor to have you on, and I know you have a storied career, and I'd love to start our conversation by hearing a little bit more than just saying you had a 37-year Army career. I know there's a lot more to it than that. Well, there is. I, uh, I love the Army. It was not without tough days, I'll say that, but I love the people, the sense of mission. Took me all over the world. I was on every continent except one, and that was Antarctica. My kids grew up around the world, and... You know, it was just, it was a wonderful experience. I had um, four combat tours in Iraq uh, between 2003 and 2011 each, a year long. One well, was actually a year and a half, and a, uh, a subsequent tour in Afghanistan in 2015 and 16. My last job, though, was in some ways the most complex. I was the, uh, the land component commander for North America. And every time there was a disaster in the country, I got I got called on to uh, to go help sort things out. So I I led the military efforts in support of FEMA for five major hurricanes, and that was uh, Matthew, RV, Irma, Maria in Puerto Rico, uh, and Florence in North and South Carolina, and also uh, commanded the federal military forces that supported Customs and Border Protection for security on our southwest border in 2018 and 19. And how does what you did in the Army relate to what you're doing now? Well, I think it's uh, directly related in so many ways. You know, I was a 
an unofficial student of leadership for many, many years in the Army. And then I actually went to uh, graduate school and got a master's in leadership development, a practitioner of it for years. And, you know, what I'm doing now is, is focusing all my efforts on leadership, whether it's whether I'm helping one of the nonprofits that I'm on a board for or advise a state agency. Uh, I get called to teach classes and uh, in university settings. And the topic is usually leadership or leadership development. And one thing I've, I've found, David, is that, you know, I believe the principles and ideas of leadership are universal. And there's different contexts, for sure. Uh, you know, leadership in the military, if you're leading a, a squad of soldiers in Iraq, the context is different than maybe if you're leading a, you know, multi-million dollar corporation. But the big ideas are still the same. So I find that it's pretty easy to translate my experiences my stories, my education into a civilian context. What would you say is the primary problem that you solve for your clients? I think more often than not, it, it has to do with relationships. You know, this will be a good example. You know, when I when I talk to a uh, MBA program, they bring me there to talk about leadership. I always like to ask a leading question to start up front. And, and my major reason to doing so is to get the students engaged and actually have a discussion uh, with me instead of just take notes on a lecture. Uh, but the question that I always ask them is, what do you think the difference is between leadership and management? And I give them a couple of minutes to stew on it. And I tell them, look, I'm going to actually want to know what you think. I'm not looking for a right answer. I'm not sure there is a right answer. I just want to get you engaged. So we go around the room and and I pull a lot of different uh, answers. And there's a couple of themes that usually develop. One is this. They know that I'm there to talk about leadership. So a lot of times they'll try to make the case that management is bad and leadership is good. And, and I don't think that's correct. I Honestly, I think neither is inherently good or bad. In fact, I can make a case that Adolf Hitler was a very effective leader, even though he's a truly evil person. You know, So it's not good or bad in and of itself. But we'll go through and we're, we'll kick around some ideas. And one idea usually surfaces that is uh, the students will raise, well, management is about things and leadership is about people. And, you know, I sort of agree with that. But what I tell them in the end is, you know, the simplest I've been able to come up with it as a definition is that to me, management is just about making things happen. And leadership is influencing people to make things happen. So it's not that people are not present in the management equation, but they're the absolutely critical component of any leadership equation. Leadership is all about people. It's all about relationships. And it's not just relationships top down. It's also bottom up, peer to peer, dealing with stakeholders or constituents. So what I find is a common problem is that Leaders don't account for the power of relationships. They don't take time sometimes to listen to their subordinates or listen to their stakeholders. And uh, and based on that, you know, they they seem to think that maybe the most powerful way to influence people is just by dictate from the top down. And that usually builds resistance and causes problems down the road. What kind of leadership have you seen in the Army? Uh, all sorts. I've seen good and bad. But I, I will say that, uh, by and large, most of the leaders I've seen have been very, very effective. 
And the reason is that there, there's a pretty common idea that the most powerful way to influence others is to try to lead by example. And so if you're the leader, this doesn't mean necessarily that you have to, you know, be in the best physical condition of your unit or be the best shot or be the most expert at maintaining that piece of equipment. But a leader should be willing to jump in there and try to learn all of that and understand what the true experts, which are often operating at a level or two down below you, are actually doing so that you have an understanding for what they do and what their struggles are and what their needs are. And uh, with that perspective, then you could better help meet all of that. And there's also, as a result of that, spending time at the lower levels, there's a bond and a trust that develops so that sometimes when you don't have time to actually, you're in a crisis, you don't have time necessarily to explain the why of what we're getting ready to do, people are much more willing to accept it if they trust you. And, you know, trust goes both ways. Trust is down, trust is up, and trust is very, very important. It's an important foundation, again, of any leadership equation. One thing that, and I've seen people lose trust in the Army and with and outside the Army, and, and you know, one of the quickest ways to lose trust is to fail to lead by example. You know, somebody who who says, who demands a certain type of behavior, but then doesn't follow through on that same sort of behavior his or herself. That will cause a breakdown of trust as quick as anything. Jeffrey, have you had experiences where you have lost trust of the people you were leading? You know, I think so. And it wasn't through necessarily a bad decision. It was a bad set of circumstances. And I actually, and it wasn't necessarily my driving it, but there was a leader between myself and where this impact was. And we had three soldiers get killed because of a poor set of decisions that one of my immediate subordinates made. But if you lose trust anywhere in the chain of command, the whole chain of command can can potentially break down. And so I went down and first had to spend time with that subordinate leader who was obviously hurt, very hurt by all of this. And so that he, in this case, could understand what was going on and we could start to repair the damage. But also, I also went down below that leader and spent time with the, the soldiers that were grieving. And, you know, and when they're, when they've lost their fellow troops, you, you'll see this and you can see this in a business situation. And it doesn't have to be about life and death, but, but people will lose a loved one or, or, you know, go through a traumatic experience like, in, like a divorce, something that is deeply personal and very powerful to them. We need to understand that as a leader. And one of the worst things you can do, I think, is to treat it as business as usual. <laughs> you know, no, I, I think you have to actually go there and spend time with these people that are in such a, you know, experiencing such trauma and just say, look, I honestly, I don't know what I could say that could, could ease your pain, but just know that I'm here for you. And so that's what I tried to do in that particular case. It didn't come back easy. Uh, we had to work on it. And eventually these guys were able to literally get back in the fight, but there was a lot of damage done and we had to fight to earn that trust again. How much of your time as a leader have you found that you have needed to spend dealing with situations like the one you just described, where the the time that you needed to invest to deal with this situation was not something you had planned? It's a, It's almost, 
strange, but it, I, I don't want to say it's an everyday occurrence because it's not with those that kind of uh, trauma or that kind of those kinds of results. But I did find, you know, when dealing with my soldiers, I spent probably eighty percent of the time on ten percent of the soldiers, and it usually was not the best ten percent. You know, these were the people that were in trouble or needed help. It required a lot of time and energy on my part. Sometimes I had to send them to jail. You know, as a court-martial convening authority, I had that responsibility. But even then, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're a bad person. They may have just made a horrific set of decisions, may have made, may have made a bad mistake. But I still felt that they had an opportunity to learn from it. And, you know, whenever the sentence is done, whether it's, you know, seven days of a little extra duty uh, and, you know, a, a part of a paycheck taken away or many years in jail, what I hoped is that they would learn from all that entire experience and, and resolve to be better. And I, you know, most of the time I was, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised because it's become my expectation that... You know, when I could give soldiers a second chance, uh, even if there was some punishment that went along the way, but if I fought to keep them on the team and do some things to give them a second chance, you know, and I hesitate, hesitate to put a number on it, but 90% of the time they ended up being some of my best because they had wrestled with some of these issues and figured out what was really important with them to them. I, I tell a story frequently of one such soldier and I kind of set it up usually when I'm talking to young leaders, but, and I'm not going to tell the whole story here because it'll take too long, but the story really unfolds in January of 2007. This guy's a master sergeant and against overwhelming odds, he leads his team to success. And they're attacked by hundreds of fighters and his team is 12 guys and they hold him off. They, he keeps everybody alive. He saves the day. He's awarded this medal for heroism. Arguably, he saves the city of Nishath in southern Iraq. Anyway, that's the first part of the story. And this story has a Paul Harvey moment because there's a rest of the story. And the rest of the story is that 20 years earlier, I was his commander. He was a private first class. He got in some trouble. And through some great advice, through my non-commissioned officers, you know, I decided to keep him. I punished him. I took away a rank. Busted him to private, you know, put him on seven days extra duty, kind of like hard labor or extra labor, and and took away seven days worth of pay. But we kept him on our unit. And I have no doubt that if I kicked him out, he'd have continued to get in trouble and probably been out in the Army in a year. But here, 20 years later, he's the hero of the day and saves a bunch of men's lives, arguably saves the life of the city. And so, uh, you know, I used to tell these guys three big lessons come to me from that. And the first one wasn't new, it was reinforced, but listen to your non-commissioned officers. Or if, you know, if you're a CEO of a business, listen, listen to the vice president, listen to your directors, you know, that in the end, you're going to have to make and own the decision. But I've always found at least that I make better decisions when I open myself up to others and actually listen to different perspectives than just my own. That's the first one. Second one is, I don't care who you are, we all make mistakes. And, and it might help you to remember yourself and some of the mistakes you've been made, that you've made, and how others have taken care of you from time to time and given you a second chance when you're deciding on what to do with an employee that has just made a mistake. 
And then the last thing, and this really applies in a military context, maybe not so much in a business one, but you don't want to kick out. This guy, the, I didn't tell you, the soldier got in trouble for fighting. And so the so the the lesson was don't kick out all the guys that can fight. Because <laughs> you actually might want that guy in your team someday. <laughs> um, I, I like that one. Don't kick out all the guys who can fight. So speaking of listening to others, and we all make mistakes, and perhaps even the, the third one about not kicking out all the guys who can fight, I'd love to hear, you know, in addition to your experience as a leader and how you now guide others in your consulting business, what has been your experience, not necessarily in an organization like the Army, but in a community setting where you've either been a member and or a leader? I'll share with you something that I found very important. The higher that I got in the Army, the more this lesson, this insight was reinforced to me. And I have tried to live that same idea in a community setting where, frankly, I think it's even, it's just as, if not even more important. And that is this. I think that one of the most important qualities that a senior leader can have is humility. And a lot of times we, we don't understand it and we tend to confuse humility with modesty. But I, I think Maya Angelou said it best. She said, you don't want modesty, you want humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So the point is, if you're a truly humble person, uh, you're open to input from others. You don't enter a room with an automatic assumption that you're the smartest person in the room. You enter the room thinking, I've got a lot to learn. I want to hear what others have to say, and I've got to see it from different perspectives so I can make the best possible decision here. And this, by the way, I think it's related to the idea of why diversity is so important. But I think people mess this up a lot because they think they look at diversity as an end. You know, we have a target of we need to have X number of men and X number of women or X number of people of of this sexual orientation or that one or this ethnicity or that one. And in fact, it should be looked at as a means, not an end. If you are fighting to have a diverse organization, you should start with the spirit of humility on bringing people on your team and surrounding yourself with people who don't think exactly like you, who don't have the same set of life experiences, but have different ones. You know, and I, I mean, I'll just give you a quick example in one dimension. Hey, when I'm when I've got an inner circle and I want somebody who is as old or older than me, somebody who's got tremendous life experience, but I also want one or two digital natives. You know, I want somebody who grew up with an iPhone in hand because they will have a different set of experiences and they'll look at things differently. And if I give them all a voice and I'm honest and listen to them, then I'll be get a wider set of options and get to make better decisions. Now, again, in the end. I need to own those decisions, but I think it's, uh, I think humility is really important. So I find getting back to your, I'm sorry about the length of the answer here. We're getting back to your question. This is critical for me. You know, let's just take the example of the Arizona State, the board of directors for the Arizona State Parks and Trails. Here I am, this retired three star general. And, uh, you know, actually, when I joined this board, I was the only person on the board that did not live in Maricopa County, which is where Phoenix is. That's where the vast majority of our population is in our state. 
But most of our parks, of course, are in other places, in rural Arizona, like where I live. And so I'd bring a different perspective to them. And, you know, I, I don't want to say that I don't fit in, but I clearly have a very, very different background than most of the people on that board. So what I've learned, though, is that even though I may have an instinctive idea about what a decision should be, the most important thing I can do is never pass up the opportunity to shut the heck up and just and come at it with wide open ears and trying to listen to these different perspectives. And then I can draw on my experience, given these different perspectives, and usually render much better advice than if I just went with my instinct. Yeah. So in essence, when you start with humility, you will benefit by having a much, a much more successful outcome. I think so. I think if you're not humble and, you know, and it's related, it's not exactly the same thing to be arrogant and lack humility, but they're pretty closely related. So I think if you're tremendously arrogant and you always assume that you know best, you're going to be doomed to be limited by your own judgment, you know, and, and nobody is perfect. (laughs) You know, we all make mistakes. We will not necessarily make the best decisions and and as good as your instinct is, it's not going to be perfect all the time. But I think you can make much better decisions if you if you actually listen to others and consider their input before you decide. Yeah, well said. Jeffrey, what's your definition of community? Well, it starts with this. I, I think we are we are social animals. And I know that you can find a hermit here and there, but for the most part, we want and need community. So it, it it's wrapped together, it's a collection of people that have a, a common cause or a common purpose. And, you know, they work together sometimes to solve difficult problems. And the community, it could be worldwide. It could, it's not necessarily defined by location, you know, but it certainly could be. So here I live on the outskirts of Patagonia, Arizona, which has a, a whopping megalopolis of 800 people and I'm outside of, outside of the town limits. Uh, so there's certainly a community there, and I'm a part of that community. But I'm also part of the community of, you know, retired soldiers of the Army. And we call it Soldier for Life. So I'm part of a community. I, I was just asked to join the board of directors for an outfit called the Hummingbird Monitoring Network. And the reason they pulled me in, I've been a volunteer for them trapping and banding hummingbirds. You know, I have a bachelor's degree in wildlife ecology, so I have an interest in that. That's community. This is a, a very unique community that really goes from Ecuador to Canada as they monitor hummingbird populations and their migration through from South America to the northern reaches of North America. So, but what defines us is a common cause and a common purpose. And I think that's a, that's a big idea. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Jeffrey, we've covered a lot of territory, both based on your career and, and about leadership. If someone wants to go deeper with anything that you've shared today or access any resources you have or learn more and get in touch with you, where would be the best place for them to go? I think the best place would be to actually go on my website, uh, and that's jeffreysbuchanan.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-S, as in Sierra. Buchanan, B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N.com. And, you know, obviously from there, you can reach out to me or my agent if it comes to, you know, trying to book me for a speaking engagement. But there's also a lot there about a uh, executive retreat that I put on 
et cetera. So uh, uh, lots of good information there. Well, Jeffrey, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and, and share your valuable insights. My guest has been business consultant and retired U.S. Army Lieutenant General Jeffrey Buchanan. Thank you, Jeffrey, for joining us. Thanks, David. It's a pleasure. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Jeffrey Buchanan, we learned how he led complex combat and humanitarian operations and is now a leadership consultant to governments and companies. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.